0: Center Ice for all things islanders, rangers, and all news across the NHL on WFUV Sports.
1: Welcome back, five on three WFUB's NHL Podcast back recording. Wednesday, January twelfth, twenty twenty two. Colin Lochran is here. Hello, Colin.
2: Hey Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, lots of hockey to be played still. Great season this far, even with the break. Really, the locals too. Surprising, to say the least.
1: For sure. And uh, we have a new, new on-air guest. He's done a lot of stuff behind the scenes for us. You can also catch him on FUVFC, James Burrell. James, what's going on, man?
0: How hey, you doing, Chris? Colin? Good to be here, guys. Um, yeah, like you said, uh, been involved with FUVFC, done some producing, but really excited to get on the air for the first time.
1: James is uh, a resident Devils fan that we haven't had since... Uh, since before COVID, so it's good to get an inside opinion on the Devils. He once, one time, we he said I was being too kind to the Devils a couple weeks ago. So, um, Very true. I, I know uh, it's been a tough season there as well. But we're going to start with the Rangers and their road trip. They're one and two on the road. Um, what's going to end up being a five-game road trip? Uh, San Jose, I think tomorrow. And then they have Philly on, on the weekend up until the game against Toronto at the Garden next week. Uh, they just continue to play really well. COVID's starting to get in the way here though. Thankfully for them, it's, uh, you know, when the five day quarantine is in effect, not the ten, and they don't have to go to Canada. So really it's not the end of the world. Gerard Gallant on COVID obviously, uh, that's not ideal, but our time in Panarin is back healthy now. And, um, Colin, I mean, there's not much else to say. They are rolling. Uh, they're at the top of the Metro near the top of the Metro. They keep switching back and forth and, uh, it's time for them to really put this into gear and lock up that playoff spot as soon as possible.
2: Yeah, it's definitely time for them to turn on the Jets. I mean, heading into the year, we've talked about this numerous times on this podcast. The Rangers are looked at as kind of that little engine that could team, might make a playoff push, might not. But really, to be hanging around the top of the Metro in the way that they are is very impressive, especially considering this is Gallant's first season as well. He's working with a lot of young talent with pieces that are more offensively minded then they combined it with guys like Ryan Reeves, who are more defensive oriented in terms of philosophy on the ice. And, you know, right now I'm looking at that game against LA last time out, you lose three to one, they were outshot badly in that one, 39, 23. And yet I'm not very concerned about that because the trip as a whole, and really how they've been playing as a whole has been really good. That game in particular, the only thing that would scare me, is the fact that you were outshot that badly. But L.A., they're top of the league in terms of shots on goals. So, again, if you're looking at the numbers, I still like where the Rangers are. And truth be told, you would have liked them to have a better game than they did against Vegas. That was kind of a clunker. But I got to say, Gourier played a great game against Los Angeles, all things considered. Much better than the effort he gave against Vegas earlier in this trip. And really, I know this is not – in regards to the trip itself, this happened before they went on the road, but Nika's advantage hat track, hat hat track, hat trick at the garden, really, I think got something going for him. He's starting to click on offense, which is really important for them because if you're gonna compete in the metric, if you're gonna compete, come playoff time against teams like Tampa, teams like Florida that are really gonna give you a hard time, is gonna have to be a key piece for them especially now that they finally have that rhythm going with Kakos, Zavanajed, and Kreider on that line. He's going to be important, and I really like what I've seen about the Rangers so far. I know this is a lot of information, a lot of bloviation right now, a lot of over-the-top reactions, considering we have not even reached February, March. But overall, you got to like what you've seen, and once they get Igor back off of COVID protocols, they're going to be even better.
0: Uh, yeah, I think like when I think of the Rangers, I think of that top six and just how dynamic they can be. I mean, you watch the way they play. They're not just a really sound and organizational organization based hockey team. They really move the puck so well. They play a really fun brand of hockey. You know, you got guys like Chris Kreider scoring goals the way that they are. You, you really can amplify the skills of each of these guys. We talked about Panarin coming back to with that hat trick, you know, um, yeah, the, the, uh, the missing Igor is uh, tough, but Georgiev has played well. I, I know they lost uh, against the Kings and the Knights, but they um, still look like a good team. Georgiev still looks strong in net. Um, they haven't really had to rely on uh, former Devils legend Keith Kincaid yet so far. But, um, yeah, I, once Igor comes back, uh, I really think that the Rangers are going to start to – really separate themselves from the teams in the bottom half of the metropolitan division. Cause we've started to see that in the last month or so that those top four teams in the Metro, the Penguins, Caps, Canes, and Ra- Rangers really starting to, you know, pull themselves away from the flyers and the blue jackets and the devils and Islanders. So, I mean, this is a team that really looks like they could do some damage in the playoffs, but it's coming to that crunch time now where we're about halfway through the season and they really are going to have to start saying, we are going to be the new lightning and Florida and Carolina of this Eastern Conference because they really do have that type of talent. Uh, I know you guys talked about it last week, talked about the defensive core, the top four defensemen they have have been proven, I mean, sometimes shaky, but like guys like Truba and obviously Adam Fox, Keiondre Miller even at times has looked really, really good, especially in transition and offensively. So I, I think that this is a force to be reckoned with.
1: For sure, and I think that something the Rangers and we've talked about it at length have an advantage such over Eastern Conference team is the goaltending, and we talked about Georgiev and how he had to pick up his game, and he has. And you guys mentioned that, but when you look at other the other teams, playoff teams right now, both Bobrovsky and Knight have been bad for Florida this year. Bobrovsky had that great start; he's been sub nine hundred uh, since like the first ten games of the season. Vasilevsky went out with COVID, and Tampa gave up nine goals in a game. All three of their goalies have been terrible. Jack Campbell, mostly unproven. Freddie Anderson, we've seen, is not a good playoff goaltender. Maybe that will change when he takes off the Maple Leaf jersey. Sam Sonov and Vanacek, I think, still have a lot to prove. Tristan Jari stunk last year in the playoffs, and, I mean, is he really a Vesna candidate? And we're going to talk about Boston's goaltending situation and the revolving door there. They have the best goaltending situation in the Eastern Conference playoffs right now. Uh, and I don't think it's particularly close and Georgia playing the way he has takes them out of the goaltender market, which is probably good because a lot of teams need one and sets them up for, for great success. And I think you also have to look at how those, that great goaltending kind of gives that confidence to the defense, right? Like when the late, late, I don't, I don't want to, you know, sound like a salty Islanders fan who hates Henry Clark although in a lot of ways I am, um, in the late Hank years, he was not what he was during the cup run. I think that that's just a fact. And I think the defense kind of faltered because of that. They felt like they had to keep shots off of him or whatnot. Now, I mean, see, if they gave up 60 shots a game, they still have a chance to win because this guy is that good, Igor. And Georgiev has been perfectly fine as well. So I think that that is definitely, definitely a huge asset for them moving forward. And if they can keep scoring at this rate, then they are a force to be reckoned with for sure. Uh, as I mentioned, their game tomorrow is against the San Jose Sharks. Speaking of the San Jose Sharks, uh, Evander Kane, as we've talked about many times in this podcast, is in controversy once again. Uh, he went down to the AHL, to the San Jose Barracuda of the AHL, uh, and when he was there, he tested positive for COVID-19, went into protocols, and he left the country, went up to his home of Vancouver uh, while he was in COVID-19 protocols, which is obviously against those rules and because of that san jose then had a reason to void his contract uh that they did and he's now a free agent uh there's been a, a um what's the word i'm looking for um grievance filed on his behalf by the nhlpa uh to get the money back but he's not going to play for the sharks ever again we knew that uh now he's a free agent the question isn't whether or not he will be because i know he probably shouldn't we all know he will The question is where, Colin, and there's a guy wearing number 97 that needs a winger pretty badly.
2: Yeah, I think Edmonton's the obvious fill-in-the-blank answer in terms of where Evander Kane's headed. If not for the mere fact that he would add, as you said, a winger with a physical presence that right now they kind of need. I watched Edmonton recently. They don't look like Edmonton of last year, where – you know, they had things going right. Things were clicking on a certain level. This year, not the same story. You have saddle McDavid had to go into COVID protocol. We know that, but in terms of playing as a physical unit, they don't have it. They're going to need an element of that. And I don't want to see Evander Kane playing the NHL again, quite frankly, I think he's the clown, but I think he's the answer here in terms of Adding that presence, whether or not he sticks around long enough or keeps his nose clean long enough to actually contribute, is a whole other story. But when I look at the teams that could potentially add him, I think Edmonton's the obvious answer.
0: Yeah, and it, it comes as no mystery that um, Ken Holland, the GM of the Edmonton Oilers, kind of spoke highly about Evander Kane when he was asked about it yesterday. He said he believes in second chances, and you know he talked about he's a guy who yeah makes some mistakes in his life i mean he made some pretty pretty big mistakes pretty serious mistakes. and yeah you're Colin, you're absolutely right he's a guy who could fill in the void of that physical top six caliber forward that the edmonton oilers have not had for as long as i've been a hockey fan uh and yeah you're totally right i feel like i was watching the oilers of between 2006 2015 in the last few weeks um Definitely not a team that has two of probably the two best players in the league. Um, at least that's not how they're playing. And they're guys that are going to need help. Uh, McDavid out with COVID at the moment. Evander Kane seems like a risky solution to that problem, but he could be a cheap one if no one else is willing to sign him. Uh, they'd probably have to free some cap space for, you know, the type of player that he is. But, I mean, it, it's, it would be an experiment, really.
1: Yeah, it is a risky solution, and you said you mentioned it'd probably be a cheap one. And I think in every other case, you're right. Right? You look at the Zach Parise contract with the Islanders, for example. He gets bought out, gets his money, and he can sign anywhere for the veterans minimum. Evander Kane didn't get bought out; he got fired. Right? So he might win the grievance and get the money back. He might not. You also have to remember part of this guy's issue is is a gambling addiction that he's been very open about, and he filed for bankruptcy not that long ago. So who knows if he's in the financial position to take a major pay cut, he might not be. I, that's pure speculation. I have no idea, but that, that's something to keep your eye on. If he doesn't sign for a little while, is he asking for more money than maybe teams are willing to pay him because simply because he needs it. Um, that That's something that I read that I thought was very interesting. And you mentioned the Ken Holland press conference from the other day. He says, you need to get an understanding about, everything that's gone on in that person's life. I believe in second chances. It's hard to be perfect. Okay. I tend to agree with that on a philosophical level of life, but Evander Kane is on chance like 97 at this point. He, he, he worked himself straight out of Buffalo, Buffalo of all teams who was actively trying to lose at the time. was like, please get out of here. I can't do this anymore. He worked his way out of Winnipeg who was terrible at the time. And he worked out of San Jose. It's not like in, it's not like these teams like were, had all this talent and they could, uh, you know, expend a player. These are bad teams who have traded him away or let him walk in free agency. And this is the third one. Um, I don't see a way that a, a team can justify this to their fan base. Uh, personally. I mean, if the Islander side might be pretty upset about it, honestly. And I don't think that there's any chance that they will, but I don't see him as, as a great addition to a locker room right now. And I think that especially in this sport, but in all sports, we over tend to over hype, What exactly that means, Uh, like the Duncan Keith signing, we kind of made fun of that over the summer, like or trade, I should say. Made fun of that over the summer, like, oh, adding cup rings to the locker room, he's 40,000 years old, it's not actually doing anything. (laughs) This, I happen to think, does have an impact. Um, And in that same locker room, I don't think it would be a positive one.
2: From a personality standpoint, I really don't like adding him to that Oilers locker room, especially because it's not like the guy has been a winner in the past. If anything, this guy has a loser mentality, because as you said, Chris, he's been kicked out every place he went to, or he left there because of his own mistakes. So I don't know if this is going to help Edmonton from a philosophical standpoint, as we've been talking about, I know we're, you know, kind of dancing around it. This guy's just a problem everywhere he goes. I don't know if there's anything nice to say other than he adds a physical presence, which I don't know if they were maybe a little bit more patient, which I know nobody likes patience because I know it's going to take an extra year or two to maybe get that physical presence to help your club win, especially when you have McDavid and dry silent probably the prime of their careers. It's just a really rough situation because I know where Edmonton's coming from. You're two nine and two in your last 13 games. You're trending towards the bottom of the Pacific. You were thought to be at least a team that could compete in the rest this season it's just a really tough thing for them because everyone in the room knows where they're coming from, but everyone also knows Evander Kane's probably not that solution.
0: Well, if I'm on the Edmonton Oilers, if I'm Zach Hyman, and I'm thinking Evander Kane's going to come and take minutes away from me to play with uh, Conor McDavid and and Leon drein because we need that physical presence, I'm going to be upset Like, because I'm a guy who, like, the Edmonton Oilers splash a bit of cash on to supplement dry saddle and McDavid. So I, I just don't, I don't see how it, it would gel well with other players. I understand why a guy like Ken Holland thinks this is a worthy investment, but according to Kevin weeks, he just tweeted out uh, earlier this morning that it's coming down to two final clubs. He didn't say who, but there's going to be a decision this afternoon. It looks like, which I don't I think that's really exciting. Uh, in just terms of who's going to, you know, bite the bullet and sign Evander Kane just because it's too tempting of a free agent to let go. Um, I'm sure one of those teams is the, uh, not the Islanders, the Oilers. I don't know who the other team is going to be. I mean, should be fun to watch what happens at least.
1: Yeah, uh, certainly. And my money says he's on the Oilers by the end of the week, but I don't know. I'm just going off the Kevin Weeks reports too. Um, and you we kind of mentioned it so we could skip over it now but edmonton has been so bad they've won three games since december 1st uh they got off to such a hot start they were the top team in the league i have a i have a ram piece where i was like wow look at edmonton connor mcdavid's on pace for 200 points and they're leading the pacific division and it's been a full blown collapse uh they had a bunch of games postponed now so they're able to get healthy and and they have a game this weekend against ottawa but just we'll, we'll swing it around one more time just to talk about just we've all seen them play. They played against all three of our teams recently or did they play against the Bruins? Uh,
2: yes, right? Yeah. A while yeah. ago, but yeah, we, yeah. We and they, they played
1: against the Rangers as well. Um In that Islanders game, they just looked dead. They just look like a bad hockey team. And you mentioned James, how they look like the, the pre Taylor hall draft pick Oilers, like, Kinda, but, like, they had 29 and 97, so they weren't – you still had to, like, hold your breath for a little bit in overtime, especially for our two teams. But, man, it's just – I was so excited about this team. And, obviously, Anaheim's been really exciting um, But in that Pacific Division. But I was so excited about this Edmonton team, and they have just disappointed on every single level.
2: I think it's funny. When we did preseason predictions – I remember specifically, I had said, don't overthink this one. Edmonton will be fine. You have McDavid, you have Dreisaddle. Now that's looking like a bit of a bad take in retrospect. But yeah, this team just looks uninspired on the ice. And I think maybe it's a coaching thing too. They might need to move on from Tippett at this point. I don't think he's necessarily helping. And then in terms of goaltenders, yeah, I mean, Koskinen's been okay. Skinner's been okay, but... Would they consider an upgrade? I don't know if that's something that necessarily helps them or hurts them, but it's something to look into. Really, if you're Edmondson, your goal should be not to waste McDavid and Drysaddle at this point. Like make their prime, to make the prime of their career worth something. And you might have to move to a new goaltender to do that or a new coach to do that. I don't think Evander Kane's a solution. I think you need to get more physical as the years go on. But some way somehow, you got to make these guys compete for a cup at some point in the relative future. And when I say compete for a cup, I mean a Stanley cup appearance or at least get to the Western conference final, something like that.
0: Yeah. I mean, this team has been a disaster in the last month or so. I think what they lost nine games of the last 13, nine in mm-hmm. regulation and two in OT against the powerhouses of the metropolitan division, the New Jersey devils and New York Islanders. Um, but it's kind of been the same old issues for the Oilers. If you just look at the past five, six years, even even before the McDavid days, when it was, you know, Taylor Hall and Ryan Eugene Hopkins. Yeah, it, injuries have been a bit of an issue this year. Um, COVID obviously has been an issue. That's g- goes for just about every team. It, it's been their lack of support for their superstars and their defense. And in many cases, lately, goaltending. Uh, I mean, I watched both those games against the Islanders and Devils, uh, I don't know who was in goal against the Islanders. I know it was Mike Smith against the Devils. He looked dreadful. Um, yeah, it was Koskinen
1: he, against the Islanders. It else. was Co- it was
0: Koskinen, like, and these you got two and Mike Smith. Love him, great career, but like at this point, is he still an NHL starter? I mean, I don't think so. Koskinen has never looked like that to me. I mean, you got a goalie wearing number nineteen. Like, what is that?
2: It's just a joke.
0: <laughs> it just never is never looked that convincing. Uh, other than their superstars, and that's going to continue to be an issue. Um, we'll see how they do with you know, injury, injured players coming back and COVID positive players coming back, but they've got to whip up into shape.
1: For sure. For sure. And, and I think, you know, obviously Grubauer has been pretty bad for Seattle. I'm just trying to think back to last year. They could have traded for Kemper, but that was a first-round pick. Mm. You know, you're, you're thinking, like, what could they have done last year that would have made them in, last summer that would have made, put them in such a better position than they are in now? I don't really know off the top of my head. Um, but not putting Mike Smith at you know, 49 years old. And the goal was a good start uh, to that little Miko Koskinen trivia for you. His first ever NHL game was that Islanders penguins game, with the Coliseum with the 350 penalty minutes. I don't know if you guys remember that one uh, from 2011. That was his first ever NHL game. They put in like their 97th goalie from Bridgeport in the net. So that uh, DPH didn't get hurt again. And uh, that was his first NHL game. He obviously never played again for the Islanders and good thing. They move on. to Good thing. They moved on from him because I'd ended in Ilya Sorokin and he's pretty good. So. There you go. There's a little Miko Koskinen butterfly effect, uh, if you are curious. Um, off of that tangent, uh, and speaking of goaltenders, the, the Bruins goaltending situation has been a talking point all year, and we talked about it at length in our Eastern Conference preview episode because I was perplexed. Tuca was out on the free agent market with no deal. It looked like he might retire. He was clearly hurt. After the Islander series. I don't think that you could dispute that. I can't even dispute that. I would love to say, yeah, the Islanders beat a full-fledged Boston team. They didn't. They beat like half of Tuca Rask. Um, And he didn't re-sign with the Bruins in the offseason. They had Jeremy Swayman, who was fantastic. They traded Dan Vladar, who's been very good in Calgary. Fine. But then you needed a second goaltender. You couldn't just put your weight all on Swayman for the first half of the season, assuming Tuca was going to come back. And instead of signing somebody to a one-year contract or a cheap two-year contract, they sign Lena Solmark to a four-year, $5 million contract. Now Tuka's back. Swayman, who's the future goaltender of the Bruins, I don't think there's any question about that in my eyes, is now in Providence. Tuka's with the Bruins. He might play tonight against Montreal. No, he's going to back up tonight against Montreal, right?
2: I think, I think, I think was he was intended to start.
1: Intended to start tonight? Intended okay, so he's going to start tonight against Montreal. It – it's, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You have a $5 million goalie on the bench uh, or a Hall of Famer on the bench, one of the two, and with your future goalie in Providence. All Mark's untradeable because he's just okay and overpaid. I know that you're nostalgic for Tuca, so I'll let you do that first, Colin. <laughs> but I also have a lot of questions about how this, this offseason was handled. But, but speak your – Speak uh, your your soliloquy on your Hall of Fame goaltender,
2: please. First and foremost, I have nightmares about that series against the Islanders last spring, <laughs> specifically with the fact that Tukares was clearly playing through an injury, but I digress. It is great that they got him back, and I think the timing could not have been better to get him back. They've met 28 goals over the last six games. Earlier in the year, I looked at this Bruins team, and you're right, the, the goaltending situation was just... It kind of made you scratch your head on multiple levels, especially with the Omark deal, which I didn't understand, especially because we had seen what Swayman could kind of do at the end of last year. And everyone collectively went, okay, we like where this kid's headed. Is he ready right now to be the guy? No. But if you give him time to grow and develop, I think the thought was he's the heir apparent. Once Tuka hangs it up and finishes off his career, Swayman should be the guy. I think it's probably best to put Swayman in Providence right now. Let him keep growing. He has some NHL experience under his belt. Now, legitimate NHL experience, unlike the couple of games he had last year. I think what I like about this Bruins team is the fact that you're going to get to Quebec and the fact that Omar is a serviceable second guy. He has not been great this year. I've liked what I've seen of Allmark at times. I think he's really good against bad teams. And then when you have to play good teams, he struggles. The caveat to that was actually the other night. He played very well against Washington. Very well. 27 of 30, saved 27 pucks. That's pretty good, in my opinion, especially against a Washington team that has been really good this year. My question really would be, what is Tukum going to look like coming back from the torn labrum? That's a pretty severe injury. If he is of old, or at least ballpark 80% of that, the Bruins should be able to compete for a wild-card spot, no problem. Was that necessarily what I thought their ceiling was heading into the season? No. I didn't think they were going to have to compete for a wild-card. I thought they'd get one of those top spots, but this is where we're at right now. Especially last year, you lose Krejci coming into this year. And really, Pasternak has not been what I thought he was going to be this year, especially the second year with Taylor Hall. I kind of thought that would open things up for Pasta. It has not done that uniquely. But even so, they've been playing good hockey as of late. If they can keep that trend going, the esque rebirth here really helps them going forward. In terms of the team and a matchup, they really want to get that top wild card. I don't want to see them get that second wild card and have to play a team like Florida or New York. I don't think they would beat the Rangers in a seven-game series. Definitely not. So right now, where I'm at on Tuka coming back is it's great timing. It's going to be an interesting situation in terms of how you choose to handle Swayman. If front office really thinks this is the year where you're going to make a push for the cup, even though I would argue it is too soon or too late, too late, excuse me, I really thought the bubble was the year that Boston should have won the cup, especially after the disappointing game seven. In 2019, another nightmare moment for me. But if you want to look outside the box, not that I'm a proponent of it, but maybe you do say, see what the market is for Swayman. See if you can get some help on defense. Because I'm honest, I did not like the Charlie McAvoy extension too much. I know he got the, you know, your Boston product friendly deal, but he's, he's not Adam Fox. I'd like to see them get some more depth on defense, maybe add another piece here. And you know what? If the market for Swayman is what it might be, might have to look into that, especially if you want to compete
0: I think, now. I, I think the opportunities to explore with Swayman are pretty endless at this point because, you know, young goaltender, um, you know, many different paths with that. When I think of the goalie situation with Tuka coming back, obviously the, the main question is what is Tuca Rats going to look like? And, you know, we'll wait and see, but he is – hall of fame goaltender basically a shoo-in you know like we'll 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 see hopefully like even you know i'm not a bruins fan i'd love to see tukarats come back and and, you know be lights out goaltender just because it'd be a fantastic comeback story and he's a beast like everybody i don't know a lot of people who dislike tukarats i'm just going to say that okay well there you go i'm a new new york
1: fan in new england i don't like any boston athletes so
0: fair fair yeah i got it
1: thank you i appreciate that Colin.
0: well the um the point is uh I think of this goalie situation, and I kind of – I mean, not to make everything about the Devils, but I do see a similar situation with Olmark and Swayman as I did with Corey Schneider and Mackenzie Blackwood when Mm -hmm. Mackenzie Blackwood was first getting a chance because what the Devils decided to do is they decided to go on in on Mackenzie Blackwood, and I don't know if you guys remember this. His first really, really good performance was a shutout against the Boston Bruins. That's just just how I remember these things. Anyway, the point is they ended up eating – what was a very horrible cory schneider contract um i'm not saying that omar's contract is as bad as that was it's not and blackwood was probably a bit more developed than swayman but because you have two grass coming back um yeah it's unfortunate but i feel like this is the only the only thing they have to do because omar is making so much money because you're paying him that much you got to have him in the you got to have him on the bench at least um and this is uncharted territory for bruins fans i feel like because has there ever really been, at least in recent history, uncertainty about the goaltender for the Boston Bruins? Because it's been too good for such a long time, oh, and it was man, Tim Thomas. Like, and like that's just that's just going back to 2010, 2009, that Boston has at least been somewhat guaranteed of having a solid presence in goal. So this is this is new. And they've not exactly rolled with the punches amazingly. You know, defense, defense has been a bit of an issue. Um, consistency has been a bit of an issue. And they're right now just on the outside looking in on the playoffs. Right now, I think they're in the second wild card. You know, they're in they're in a shaky position. But, I mean, it's going to come down to Tuca Rask. And he is confirmed to start on Thursday, I believe, or tomorrow against Philly. So that's going to be interesting.
1: Tomorrow. So tonight will be Elmark and tomorrow will be
0: Tuca. Okay.
1: Yeah. I wonder how this is really all going to play out. I My money would be they let Swayman – Fester and Providence give him a couple shots at Boston this year. They have the Tuca retirement night in April, and he rides off into the sunset at the end of this year. That That's where my money would be. Uh, you're also paying a old Mark $5 million. Are they even going to be able to afford Bergeron next year? Is he going to retire too? I think there's so many questions around the Bruins this off season. Um, they did lock up Charlie McAvoy, as you mentioned, to that $9.5 million extension. But uh, other than that, I mean, it's there's a lot of question marks around this team uh headed into next year, uh, but they got they got one last shot of the cup. I think you're right, Colin. I think this is it. They certainly could have won in 2019. Obviously, uh, they had a shot in 2020, 2021. They lost to the Islanders. This is the year that they have to they have to win it if they're going to win another one with Bergeron. And they got three teams ahead of them in their own division who are hungry for a cup, right? Tampa wants to win that third straight, obviously Florida and Toronto want to fight off the demons of years past. So it should be a very interesting Atlantic division uh, as well. So what we're going to do is a little new year's kind of celebration thingy here. Uh, and we're just going to give what our uh, awards picks are so far, not who you think is going to win in April, but if the award was given out by us right here on a Wednesday at noon, in our respective remote bunkers, who would we give it to and why I'll even embarrass Colin and I by telling, by saying who we picked to win these awards uh, back in uh, August, September, because some of them are embarrassing. Um, And uh, maybe who you think is going to win the Stanley cup too, because we all picked the same team back then. And I wonder if we all agree now. So uh, I will start because why not? And we'll start with, Hmm. Let's start with the heart trophy. Let's start off with the big one. Back in September, I picked Connor McDavid early in the season. It certainly looked like it was going to be Connor McDavid right now. I do not see a way this trophy doesn't go to Alex Ovechkin. I think it's Ovechkin in a runaway right now. He was leading the league goals for a long time. I don't know if he still is, but he has been absolutely incredible this year. Dry Sutter leads the league in goals. Ovechkin just two behind. I think it's going to be Ovechkin because he's going to get the sympathy vote of he's 30 whatever years old and having another incredible season. Uh, and that it will go to Washington and Connor and uh, Alex Ovechkin.
2: I went with Leon Dreisiedel this time around. My, Foster, first, <laughs> my, my first pick was David Posternak, which that was more of a hunch pick in terms of I thought he'd get more opportunities now with Hall having a second year, but I dug your eyes. Right now, I see it going to Dreisaitl. He's first in goal. He's tied for first in points. Assist numbers, I think, are really going to start to skyrocket as soon as McDavid starts to heat up again and comes back from COVID. Even if Edmonton struggles as a unit, I still think Dreisaitl and McDavid are going to put up good numbers. That's just the type of players they are. I like Dreisaitl winning. Also important, I think he has the most power play goals and the most game-winning goals so far this year. Important stats in my mind. So I see it going to Leon Dreisaitl.
0: Uh, I'm going to go with Ovechkin as well, because as you mentioned, you said power play goals. I believe even strength goals is Ovechkin is in first in that category. And the sympathy vote obviously plays a huge factor, but more more importantly, I think the, uh, the team vote, if so to speak, because if Edmonton is shaky the rest of the way, they're probably not going to give it to McDavid because you're saying, Oh, you're supposed to be the best guy in the league. And you didn't even do that well in the playoffs. Well, the Capitals are going to the playoffs and they're, Maybe they lose in the first round, but they're definitely going to get a high seed in the metropolitan division, uh, whether that be first, second, or third. The point is, I think Ovechkin has, if he continues on this pace for the rest of the way, I, I don't see how they don't give it to him.
1: Agreed. Uh, back in the beginning of the season, I gave the Vesna to Connor Hellebuck and now I'm giving it to Igor. I think he's been the best goalie in the league for the first half of the season. I don't think there's any question about that. And the, He's just been simply incredible. I think Freddie Anderson has, has a good stake at that claim as well. Uh, but I'm going Igor.
2: I'm going Igor as well. Initially, I had given the Veznad Andre Vasilevsky for reasons being coming off the cup run. I felt his regular season would be just as good. Apparently, that is not going to happen. He might still have a great playoff run. But right now, it's Igor Shostakovich, man. 0.936 save okay. percentage. of his starts are considered quality starts. Really, I think Igor has scared Gorgiev into playing better hockey in net because when he was given the chance, Gorgiev stepped up because he knew this might be my last shot to save my spot on this roster given how good Igor has been. There were stretches earlier in the year when Igor was legitimately carrying a Rangers team that was struggling offensively and on the forecheck. Right now, Igor is my Vezna winner.
0: Uh, I'll play a little devil's advocate here. I think Igor is has got to be the front runner. Igor Anderson and maybe Markstrom are all uh, uh-huh. in that category. I'm gonna, but I'm gonna say the guy that I think uh, Chris, you mentioned him earlier as unproven, and he definitely is. But Jack Campbell has been, uh-huh. I think, really, really good. Uh, I think he leads the league in save percentage, nine thirty five. Uh, great numbers. Goal against average, not fantastic, two hundred two. Still not, still not bad by any stretch of the word at all. Uh, and he, you know, he's got 18 wins and 27, uh, starts or 26 starts. I mean, he's kind of a late bloomer in terms of, uh, he's 30 years old now and just having what it appears to be a breakout season. Um, I think he's been really exciting. I don't think he's going to win the Vesna, but I think he's definitely someone to watch out for, to definitely creep up on the likes of Igor Shostakovich and Freddie Anderson and Jakob March.
1: For sure. He's been really good. Uh, Out in Toronto. Okay. I lost my tab. Here we go. Uh, The Calder trophy. Tyler was on this podcast with us. All three of us gave it to Cole Caulfield, who spent time with the LeVar Rocket this year. Wow. not great. Um, I'm sure I mentioned Trevor Zegers in my ramble to pick Cole Caulfield. It's between him and the two guys in Detroit. I think as we – I'm sure later in the season when it comes to actual heart trophies – We'll talk about how Dreisaitl and McDavid kind of cancel each other out almost because they're on the same team. I think Raymond decided to do that too. And Ziegris is my Calder Trophy guy because uh, he's freaking incredible.
2: Yeah, Ziegris is incredible. He has a lot of flash. I remember I had given this to Caulfield as we were talking about, which I now feel silly for. But at this point in the season, I got to give it to Lucas Raymond. Most points of any rookie, I really like what he's doing for them in Detroit. I think Zegers has more flesh. I think he's probably the sexier pick, but I think Raymond is the pick for a hockey traditionalist.
0: I, I also am going to go with Lucas Raymond. Um, he leads rookies in points. Uh, he's been just absolutely phenomenal. And, he, and the Red Wings have kind of been not dreadful this year, so that's uh-huh. a lot contributed to him and uh, Mort Sider, you know, the other guy, the other Detroit uh, rookie. I've got to give a shout-out to Dawson Mercer, though, because he might be in the final voting. Not that he's going to win it, but, you know, it's good to have some Devils involved once in a while.
1: And Ty, was Ty Smith a, a finalist last year? Was
0: I don't he, believe so. No, and he no, probably I think should, and he should not have been either. He has not uh, lived up to the expectations, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, for sure. And the funny thing about Detroit is they have the two rookies that we obviously know about. And remember, in the offseason, Carolina traded Nedeljkovic to Detroit. Because it was the 56-game season and because he's a goalie and doesn't play every game, Nedeljkovic didn't reach the the minimum to be considered a second-year player this year. He's still technically a rookie. So he was a finalist for the Calder last year. Ken won it again this year and has been very good. I don't think they're going to vote for him just because that he kind of got a shot last year. But technically, by the rule book, he is a rookie and could win the Calder trophy, uh, which I think is very funny. Detroit also hiring Nick Lidstrom to be part of their um, front office the other day, which – I mean, if you're Mo Sider, he's German, Lidstrom Swedish, not the same country, but European defenseman, one of the best of all time defenseman. Period. Uh, Nick Lidstrom, and now you're Mo Sider at 21 years old, and you get to pick his brain for the rest of your career. That's a uh, pretty cool. Uh, speaking of Nick Lidstrom, he won a whole lot of these uh, Norris trophies. The odds-on favorite at the beginning of the year was Kale McCarr. That's who the smart person on this podcast pick. Me, the idiot. Pick Charlie McAvoy. I don't know why. McAvoy's been really good, but there's no way McCarr doesn't win. It as long as he stays, as long as he stays healthy, which he has not, so that's the big caveat. But uh, Kale in a runaway after that sick goal last night and the Spinorama one, which we haven't talked about. Holy smokes!
2: Yeah, he is filthy. I'm going to play devil's advocate with this. Oh, no, only because I think that, only, only because I think this is somebody that could win it potentially. Mm-hmm. I still think Mark Car is the odds-on favorite. I believe I picked him in that initial show. So I'm going to stick with Mark Carr. But a guy that's creeping up in my mind just because of what he's being asked to do is Victor Hedman. I think Hedman's probably one of the most underrated defensemen in that the Lightning are stacked. We know they're stacked. They have so many guys that can flat out play great hockey. But I think his name gets lost in the shuffle in terms of great defensemen in the NHL only because of the fact that the team is so stacked. Like we talk about Fox, talk about Mark Carr guys like that even charlie mcavoy gets more love than victor hedman sometimes and that's a little troublesome to me i think hedman has some pretty good numbers here 31 assists 38 points overall higher plus minus than fox this year however you want to read in the plus minus as a stat is a conversation for another day but i really think hedman's a guy that could win it but i still think more is likely
0: yeah i was hoping both you guys wouldn't say Makar because that's who I was <laughs> I was gonna say, but I'll, I'll shake it up a little bit. I'll say Aaron Ekblad. Um, I, I do think Makar is, is the odds-on favorite should he stay healthy, but Aaron Ekblad has been really really good as well. You know, he's a guy who's been around top ten defensemen his since his introduction to the league, and the Florida Panthers have really really turned things around for the franchise. They've been really really good in the you know lately. Uh, they look scary good at times, and sometimes not so great, but. Lately, they've looked scary good. And I think Aaron Eckblad has been probably the biggest piece in anchoring that defense in front of not the Sergey Bobrovsky of old, but also Spencer Knight. You know, they, they, they've been an interesting case, and Aaron Eckblad has been the biggest piece that I can look to for consistency for that team. And he is such, just absolutely electric. Yeah, he's such an
1: underrated first overall pick, I think. He was one of the ones, like, around – between McKinnon and McDavid, I think. And you think of those drafts, like, oh, they went Taveras, Kane, McDavid, McKinnon, Matthews, and Ekblad has been a number one defenseman for the team that drafted him since the day he got there. And those, I mean, ask the Islanders and the Rangers. Those are hard to find. Um, and they both seem, both of those teams seem to have gotten theirs now. But, you know, the Devils had to go out and pay $9 million for theirs, but he's been a heck of a player for them for a long time. Um, the last one was Adams. Uh, I picked Jared Bednar. Tyler picked Gerard Gallant and Colin picked Barry Trotz. I think yours is probably out of the running now, Colin, unfortunately.
2: Absolutely. Uh, I could
1: could see Gallant for sure. Uh, I would pick right now. um, I think they might give it to the the new guy. Uh, Oh, God. The hell is his name? Brunette, Andrew Brunette, Um, maybe. But overall right now, I see it as Dallas, Aikens, and Anaheim. Uh, They've been really good, and they love to give it to the surprise team. So if I had to name a Jack Adams right now, I'd go with Dallas Aikens of the Anaheim Ducks.
2: Yeah, I would take Mike Sullivan in Pittsburgh right now. I think they're the type of club that was not expected to be as competitive as they are with the 45 points hanging on in the Metro, very much being in the conversation to make a playoff push. Say what you will about the roster, but they started the season without Sidney Crosby. That's important in my mind. It's not like Tristan Jari is like, Igor Shostakovan or Andre Vasilevsky and that he's a solid goaltender but you need other things to go right to support Tristan Jari in my estimation so really I think Mike Sullivan's done a really nice job with this Pens team
0: Yeah, uh, I was going to talk about Aikens a bit but I think Chris you touched upon touched him I mean, you know, definitely the surprise team has been the Anaheim Ducks and a lot has gone right for them and you got to contribute that to the coach or attribute that to the coach I'm going to talk You know, reigning champion Rod Brindamore, you know, the Hurricanes, such a well-oiled team, such a fun team that you have to look at the coaching and say this is the reason. Um, That locker room must be so much fun to be in. And I'm not just talking about the storm surge stuff at the end of the games. This team is uh, a joy to watch in a way that I wish every hockey team was. Because they are really dynamic, really fast, but also really, really skilled. And they have such a swagger and personality to them. But they're still top of the Metropolitan Division, arguably the hardest division in hockey. So uh, I'm going to go with Brendan Moore for the Adams.
1: Yeah, Brendan Moore is a good pick. I think it's tough to top last year because he won the President's Trophy. But if they win the President's Trophy again this year, I could definitely see it going that way for sure. And other names to mention John Hines, they're on Nashville's on top of the Central, certainly was not foreseen. And uh, Daryl Sutter. Uh, Calgary's off, fallen off a little bit, but early in the year, he was certainly the favorite when they were really hot. And um, they, they, again, they've fallen off a little bit here, but they do have some games in hand to, to make up that room. Uh, good stuff. All right, we. I don't think any either one of us agreed with any of the picks. With, oh, you agreed with Macar, but Chuck goes to show you, we have no idea what we're doing. Okay, um, well, that was fun. Uh, next week, we hope to be back in person, which is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm at tomorrow's Islanders Devils game, assuming it happens. I'm at Saturday's Washington uh, Islanders game, assuming it happens. And Monday's Islanders Philly game, again, assuming it happens. Uh, Colin, do you have a beat? Oh, I guess the uh, Rangers are on the road, so you probably don't. But when's your next uh, uh, assignment?
2: My next assignment will be later this month, potentially the 28th. But until 21. then, I know Quiggs will have me covered. He'll be All right, so Quiggs will
1: be at the game against the Maple Leafs. Tyler will so. obviously be hopping in once he gets back from Philly. And, uh we got a lot of coverage coming up. James, thanks for doing this, man. We hope to uh, chat again soon. Uh, for Colin Rockland, James Burrell, Ralph Barbieri on the uh, production side. I'm Chris Hennessy. We will talk to you next week.